Well, over the course of the last uh, couple months now, we've been looking at heaven, and I hope it's a journey you've enjoyed taking with us. Uh, it's something I wanted to do a year ago, and we were going to do coming out of Easter last year, and it was the midst of the pandemic, and we decided we would pivot a little bit. And um, so we, we waited, and uh, I just think it's fascinating in, in God's perfect timing uh, how, how he's done this. I, just for me personally, it's, uh, it's been such an encouragement uh, to me, as, as I shared with you guys on, on Easter uh, morning, my grandfather passed away, and then certainly uh, with, the, with the challenging news we got about Brooklyn, um, just looking at the hope that we have ultimately in heaven and the hope of Jesus has just been such a source of encouragement to me. So if uh, nothing else, thank you for allowing my heart to be encouraged uh, in the midst of you every, every Sunday morning. Uh, in the midst of that, I wanted to, wanted to hear from you and wanted to reach out and see what questions you had. And so thank you for those of you who sent questions. Um, we're going to address some of them today. And if you have a question that doesn't get addressed today, but you still want to know, you don't ever need an invitation uh, to ask us a question. That's why we're here. Uh, we're here to help you in every step of your spiritual journey. And if we don't know, we'll just say, we don't know. Uh, and we'll, we'll try to figure it out together. But there are some things that we don't know. And there are other things that we do know because of the truth of Scripture. And what we do know, we will confidently communicate and what we don't know in all humility, we'll speculate right along with you. We're not just going to say, I don't know, and leave it at that, unless we really don't want to answer the question, then we might. Uh, but if we, if we do want to answer the question, uh, we'll, we'll speculate with you, but we'll tell you it's, it's speculation, and, and here's why we've arrived at that, so, so you know. But I want to jump in this morning and answer uh, some of the questions that came in. And the first one is this, I heard in heaven, everyone gets a mansion. Is that true? I heard in heaven, everyone gets a mansion. Is that true? Uh, I want you to know this idea of what, what our lives in heaven are going to be like, what our surroundings in heaven are going to be like. Uh, that's, that's a pretty common question. In fact, the disciples had a similar question. And the disciples had the luxury that they could just ask Jesus, and, um, and Jesus told them. But what's interesting is the answer Jesus gave them. So in John 14, uh, and all of, these, all of these verses will be available for you in the Bible app as we go along today. If you're streaming at home, they'll be available on the screen below. And if you're here, uh, they'll be available on the side screens as well. But the disciples had a similar question for Jesus of what's, what's heaven going to be like, and, and how are we gonna, what, what's all that going to be? And Jesus in John 14, 1 and 2 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So what's fascinating to me is that as this question is asked of Jesus, Jesus starts with, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, this is just Jesus' way of communicating. Heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to blow your mind. Have you, have you ever been somewhere, either on vacation or, or just encountered something um, that you can't adequately put into words? Try, try as, as best you may. You just can't adequately put into words. I've never visited the Grand Canyon. Um, part of me has wanted to go visit the Grand Canyon, and other parts of me are like, mm, it's a canyon, and there's not much else to do around it. But the people I talk to that have visited the Grand Canyon are like, you have to go. You have to go. And then they try to explain it. And then after a couple minutes, they say, I, you just have to experience it. You have to go see it, and you have to experience it for yourself. And I think in a lot of ways, as we think about heaven, that's really what, 
that's really what it's going to take. It's going to, it's going to take our experiencing it for ourselves because as great as words are, as great as language is, sometimes God pulls off things that are so amazing and so incredible that our words just don't do them justice. And I have no doubt in my mind that's how heaven's going to be. And the first message of Jesus here is don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. And he goes on, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that, that I go to prepare a place for you? So the Bible clearly promises that someday every believer will share in heaven's glory. That's the promise of Scripture, that every believer will share in heaven's glory. Now, mansions, and this concept of mansions, that's, that's really based on some of the previous translations of Scripture. And sometimes people ask me, what translation do you use? I use the ESV, but listen, every translation, it's a good translation. They've been, they've been put together by scholars. It's just a question of whether they've gone word by word in a translation or phrase by phrase. But generally, any translation available today is a really good translation. And I don't get hung up on it. I know some people have strong preference about what translation to use. And really, when you look at the people that have put together and the levels of scholarship and just the time and the care that they have put together in, in bringing about the Scriptures. So if you want to use the ESV, that's great. If you want to use the NIV, that's great. If you want to use the New American Standard, etc. They're all fantastic, fantastic translations put together by some phenomenal scholarship. In some of the previous translations of Scripture, this word rooms was translated as mansions. It's an old English word that usually, uh, that's usually now translated today as rooms or dwelling places. So it's just a difference in the, in the word that we use and not in what was originally stated in Jesus' words in John 14. But the promise that we have here is whether it's a mansion is, is, was said in some previous translations, whether it's a room, whether it's a dwelling place, whatever the point would be, the promise is for God's people, there is a place that God himself is designing and creating and setting apart for us. Now, when we look at when we look at the culture and the context of the time of, of this writing, it was very uncommon to have standalone homes. It was very uncommon to have standalone homes. And frequently what would happen is people would just add on a wall or a wall or two, and then that is where they would live. That would become their house. In the city, especially of Jerusalem, that is how people would live. They would just add on walls. It was more economically feasible. It was more convenient. Now, in heaven, it's not an issue of finances. It's not an issue of convenience. It's not an issue of any of those things. Um, so we really don't know. What we do know is that we will have a place prepared for us by God himself. And then Jesus goes on in verses 3 and 4 of John 14 to say this, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you, take to you to my, and will take you to myself, and where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going." And so Jesus recenters the conversation around the issue of faith and believing in him. So we don't know if our residences in heaven will be mansions where we're all balling out in 10,000 square foot, you know, have every amenity that you want. We've got the barbershop built in and the theater downstairs, the bowling alley, the indoor basketball court. You know, we don't, we don't know if, if our residences will be like that. 
I, I tend to think probably not. I tend to think heaven, our residences will probably be more like condos. That's, that's strictly speculation on, on my part, I'm just thinking about the community and, and every, every other aspect of heaven. But what we do know is God has prepared them for us, and each of us individually. And when we think about this idea and this concept that God is preparing a place for each of us individually who follow him, I just want you to think of all the diversity that we see how God has created in the past, all the diversity God has created in this world. And my guess is there will be immense diversity in his design in all regards of heaven, including in the places that we live. But the, the important part is we don't have to guess that we have a home in heaven, and it has been especially prepared for all of those who follow Jesus. And so that's, that's the hope that we have there. Uh, the next question that we want to talk about today, uh, question number two, is will my pet be in heaven? And I can definitively tell you if it's a cat, no, because cats do not, <laughs> cats do not make it to heaven. I inherited two cats uh, when, we were, when we were married, and they are no longer with us. Thank you. Uh, but I never, I had fish growing up. That's all I had. I had an aquarium. I had fish. I love watching fish uh, swim. It just relaxes me. It soothes me. There, there have been studies that are done about the benefits of, of watching fish. I don't currently have uh, an aquarium set up in my house because I don't like to clean it. And I just, I don't, I don't want to worry about that. So I didn't grow up having pets. Uh, my mom, is, she says she's allergic to any, I don't know if that's true or, you know, one of those things you kind of stretch as a parent. Uh, maybe there is a little allergy, but she's like, I'm allergic to everything, dogs, cats, hamsters, bunnies, you know. So anytime I wanted a pet growing up, the answer was no. So I grew up with fish, and fish are cool to look at swim, but you don't really have a connection uh, with fish. They do recognize when it's feeding time, but I did a, you know, I'd, I'd have my friends feed them. And they were just as excited to see my friends, which made me think it was probably about the food, and not about me. Uh, so there's really not much of a connection with fish, which makes it a lot easier to flush them uh, if you have to. So I never had that connection. And then our boys uh, were blessed or cursed, based on how you want to look at it, to to have two cats around the house when from the time they were born. And they really enjoyed having the two cats. Uh, I don't know that the cats always enjoyed having the two boys, but cats are evil creatures, and I don't think they like anybody. And when, and when, it, was time, when it was time for our cats to depart this earth, uh, that was an emotional time for my boys and my wife. An emotional time for me in a much different way, but for them, they experienced, they, they experienced some sorrow, and they experienced loss, and they experienced a, a, a level of grief of, of having, to, having to say goodbye uh, to the cats. And that's really the first time that it dawned on me, okay, I, I get it. Now, I'm not all the way that, that some of you are, where your pets are, are more important to you than your kids and your spouse, um, but you know, I, I do understand that connection that a lot of people have. Uh, with their pets. So, will there be pets in heaven? Will your pet be in heaven? Well, Proverbs 12.10 says this, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. God cares about the, God cares about the care we provide our animals. God cares about the care we provide our animals. That's, 
that might be a new concept to you, but God cares about all of his creation, including our animals, and God cares about the care that we provide our animals. So knowing that God has a heart for all created things, including animals, we have to remember that all creation has been impacted as a result of the choices of Adam and Eve. The choices of Adam and Eve in the garden when they chose to rebel against God and they brought sin into our, into our creation, into, into this world in which we live. They brought sin into the realm in which we all exist. Well, Romans 8, 22 and 23 talks, talks about this idea a little bit. And here's what it says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So all creation feels the effects of sin. All creation feels the effects of sin. Our climate feels the effects of sin. Continents feel the effects of sin. Animals feel the effects of sin. Individuals feel the effects of sin. All of creation feels the effects of sin, including, like I said, the climate, including continents, including animals, including people. Everything feels the effects of sin because sin impacts everything. And what's fascinating to me is God clearly has a redemption plan for us. God clearly has a redemption plan for us. And we know that what that redemption plan was, that Jesus, God himself, would come, take on human form, be fully God and fully man, and he would pay the price for our sins. He would die on the cross and three days later raise again. That is the redemption plan that God put in place. And we know that in God's redemptive plan for us, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So it only makes sense in my mind that God is going to lift the curse on everything that has been impacted by the curse, which means to me that the climate and the continents and the animals in heaven will, will experience a much better existence than they did here as a result of sin. Now, I say that and I say there will probably, because of my interpretation of what God's going to do in redeeming the fall, based on this Romans 8 passage and other places in Scripture, I do believe there will be animals in heaven. I don't know about your animal in particular. I'm hard-pressed I'm hard to see anywhere in Scripture where, where we can build a definitive case that animals have souls. And so as a result of that, I don't think it's probably going to be Fido or Fluffy or whatever your particular pet's name is, but I do think there's probably going to be a clone. And I do think in, in God's knowledge and in His wisdom and in His, his understanding, His grace and His love for you, if, if He knows that 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 clone would bring you a fulfillment or joy to have, to have around in heaven, then it's probably going to happen. Now, I can't build a definitive case for that, but in my understanding of what God's going to do in terms of reversing the curse, it just makes sense to me. Remember, there's, there's no longer a curse on the new earth. Sin's gone, death's gone, destruction's gone, illness is gone, all of these horrible things, they are all gone in the new earth. So what I would speculate is not only will we have animals there, but I would go far as to speculate that God's going to restore all the animals. God's going to restore all the animals um, that, that he's created, even, even animals like dinosaurs 
And, and perhaps based on your understanding of, of Job 41, if, if you want some interesting reading this week, go read Job 40, uh, starting in verse 15, and then on, and then read Job 41. And Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. We don't know specifically when Job lived, but he was probably a contemporary of Abraham. And I know sometimes how the books in the Bible are arranged, it can be kind of confusing to date everything. But either Job was a contemporary of Abraham or he, he lived along the time of Joseph. There's, there's some debate as to which of those was more likely, um, whatever the case may be. If you go and read Job 40, uh, starting in verse 15 in Job 41, you're going to see that there are some really incredible, incredible animals that God created. And when, when I interpret those passages from Job 40, 15 on in Job 41, I think that, that there's reference to dinosaurs, and I think there's also reference to dragons. And I know some people are like, that's, that's crazy and that's insane. Go read it for yourself. You interpret it how you want um, but when I, when, I read these, when I read these passages of Scripture, I, I do believe very clearly that, that God will restore even extinct animals, even extinct animals in the new earth. Um, just an aside, and, and you might think, okay, he's, he's completely lost it now. But have you ever wondered why Eve wasn't freaked out by talking to a serpent? Because I have. Are you ever just like, isn't that like the first red flag? You're talking to a serpent? Or have you, have you ever wondered why, out of all things, God would use a donkey to speak to Balaam in Numbers 22? I've always scratched my head about that, and I've always wondered. So I'm just going to leave you with this question. Did maybe before sin, animals talk? You think maybe in the new earth they'll talk? I don't know. I don't know. But maybe your dog barking, and you're like, oh, it's so annoying. I'm glad the dog's, oh, just stop barking. Maybe you should be glad it can't speak. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> question, question number three, will we eat in heaven? If we will, what will we eat? Yeah, we'll eat, but it's probably going to be a lot more vegetables. Uh, so some of, you are really, some of you are really excited about that, and my... My oldest and I are in trouble. Uh, it's probably going to be a lot more vegetables, and I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. How can it be heaven without bacon? And I have wondered the same thing. I have wondered the same thing. When you, I'm there, I mean, how do you describe bacon, right? We've just talked earlier about how, not being able to describe amazing things. Bacon falls in that category. The Grand Canyon, bacon. Like, there is no way to adequately describe the wonder of bacon. It is phenomenal. And, and when, we look at, when we look at heaven, it's probably going to be a lot more vegetables. I believe based on Genesis 9-3, pre-flood, pretty much everybody was, was a vegan. Genesis 9-3 says this, and this is post-flood. Uh, God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So post-flood, God is giving permission for people to eat animals. That's why meat is not murder, no matter the bumper sticker that you've seen. Um, but every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So God now offered the animals to be eaten, but I believe pre-flood, it was probably a much more vegan diet. But we also have to remember the new reality, the new reality in the new heaven and the new earth. And I want to go back to a passage we talked about a few weeks ago. Isaiah 11, and again, this is, this is the millennial reign before the new earth is, 
is established. This is the thousand years that Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. But just want to, I think in a lot of ways, it does foreshadow what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like. And we read there, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. During the reign of Jesus, there is full peace in all things, including the animal kingdom, and their diets are altered. All things, including the animal kingdom, and their diets are altered. Now, in case you're a meat eater and you're starting to get a little depressed, I just want to tell you, I don't know this definitively. And so you might want to underline or highlight or save Isaiah 25, 6. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. So there's rich food, there's well-aged wine, there's food full of marrow, and all the meat eaters said amen, and they're scribbling down furiously right now and highlighting that hope, and aged, aged wine well refined. And all the Baptists are freaking out because that's two mentions of wine right there, and they don't really know what to do with all of that, and that's okay. Either there's a one-time exception or God has another plan in place. Either there's a one-time exception or God has another plan in place that, meat, that eating meat can occur without the means we go through without the means we go through of having to kill the animal in order to do so. So maybe it's similar to a sheep being sheared. I don't know. But maybe God has another process and another plan um, in place that we are still able to eat meat without killing the animal. But whatever the case may be, our diets do seem like they will be radically altered. And Isaiah 65, 25 says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the servant's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And so here we see even the animals are becoming vegetarians. So I don't know. We will eat. I don't know what we'll eat. But if you're bummed right now because you're like, I hate broccoli and kale's a disaster and I don't know, this is not going to be a good diet, I just... I want to remind you that sin has impacted everything. So I guarantee broccoli used to be delicious and kale was incredible. And the reason broccoli tastes like it does now is a result of sin. And it, it just is. Uh, so everything's going to be restored and maybe, maybe broccoli will taste like bacon. That would be awesome. And then I won't care about meat. I'll just eat broccoli. That'd be great. Uh, the last question we have time for today is, uh, when did the people who were on Abraham's side make it into heaven? When did the people who were on Abraham's side make it into heaven? You'll recall a few weeks ago we talked about Luke 16, uh, the side of the righteous and, and the side of the, the unrighteous. And um, the, question, the question might even go further is, when did people in the Old Testament, because we talked about how were people in the Old Testament before Jesus died on the cross, how were they saved? And as we're saved by looking back at the sacrifice of Jesus, at his redemption for us, people in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, looking forward to his death and his, his, um, his payment for the penalty of sin. But... That, that hadn't yet occurred, and that's why I tend to believe that Luke 16 
isn't a parable. I'm not mad at anybody who does believe that Luke 16 is a parable. I tend to believe that it, it isn't a parable, that, it's a, that Abraham's side is a place that was essentially a holding tank for the Old Testament saints until Jesus paid the price for our redemption. And that following Jesus' death, Matthew records for us a fascinating scene. It's a fascinating scene in Matthew 27, uh, starting in verse 51, where it says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. So this is a fascinating scene. This is a fascinating scene. That as Jesus has died on the cross, the curtain in the temple is ripped in two. Now the curtain in the temple was a dividing curtain. And behind the curtain was the place called the Holy of Holies. And it was the place where God would dwell. And it was only allowed to be entered once a year by one person, the high priest. The high priest would be able to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would have to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement with a sin offering. And when Jesus dies and that curtain is ripped, it tells us, that God's presence is no longer confined to one place. That we no longer need a high priest to go in with a sacrifice. That the sacrifice has been paid once and for all. The blood of Jesus on the cross. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. And atonement is available to all who will accept it because of what Jesus has done. So that's the first just phenomenal thing that we see in this scene that Matthew paints for us with the curtain being torn into. That gone is that division, sin has been dealt with, and there is hope available for all of us through what Jesus has done. And then the next aspect of what Matthew records for us, there's a zombie-like scene. There's a zombie-like scene of tombs being split open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. He's not talking about people taking a nap in a graveyard, falling asleep. But no, he's talking about dead bodies being raised from the being raised from the dead and walking around the city to the point that people who did not follow Jesus looked at it and said, "Clearly, Jesus is who he said he was. Clearly, Jesus was God." Now, people scratch their heads, and they're like, what is, what is going on? I, and again, I can't definitively say this, but what I believe is, is taking place here is I believe what we have seen are the souls of the Old Testament saints being reunited with their decaying bodies since the sacrifice of sin had been paid. And they are now appearing as witnesses before they were then taken to heaven. As a result of Jesus' sacrifice being fulfilled, heaven is now open and available. There's a couple other passages that, that lead me to believe this. Psalm 68. It was written by David about God's people being victorious in battle. 
But Psalm 68, 18 says this, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. This is a scene of victory. And he goes on in Psalm 68, verses 19 through 21. Blessed be the Lord who daily, who daily bears, up, bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. David ties this victorious song to the work of God. That's what he does. And then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, alludes back to this song of victory that David wrote in Psalm 68. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace was given to each, of, each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts gift. He's highlighting here that God has given us grace through the work of Jesus. And then check this out in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Therefore it says, and now the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 is going to quote the song of David from Psalm 68. Who, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. But did you notice the difference? Did you notice the difference between Psalm 68 and Psalm 68 verse 18 and between Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8? In Psalm 68, the victor received gifts. In Ephesians 4, the victor gives them. It's a little wordplay that the Apostle Paul does, and he changes one word, and yet it changes the scope of everything. And that's our hope, that Jesus descended to this earth, and he paid the price for our sin. And in that, we can have salvation, that we would offer him gifts, but our victorious Savior gave us the gift, the gift of hope. The gift of being with God forever in heaven. And that's why I believe that the scene that, we're, that we see in Matthew 27 is the Old Testament saints no longer being in a, in a separate place, but are now in heaven with God forever. And what's our response to this? Well, Ephesians 4 goes on in, in verse 11, and he gave the... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is our hope, that Jesus is our hope, that he has offered us salvation, He's paid the price for our sin once and for all. And we can have assurance that if we receive that gift, that we will be with him forever. And we may live in mansions, we may live in condos, we may live in apartments, but I promise you whatever it is, it's going to be phenomenal. 
you may see your old pet, or you may see a, a clone of it. We may get meat by some other means, or we might all love broccoli. But we'll be with God, and we'll be with him forever because of what Jesus has done. And that is our hope. That is the hope that people had to look forward to in the Old Testament. And that's the hope that we look back to in realizing it's occurred. We now also can look forward that one day we will be with God forever. And all the pain and all the hurt and all the death and all the disease and all the illness and all the decay and every evil and horrible thing that we experience in this world will be gone. And we will live forever with our Creator and the way we were originally designed to live. God, thanks for the hope of heaven. Thanks for your love. Lord, I just pray that when we experience times of difficulty and uncertainty, we'd be reminded of these truths. We'd be reminded of your goodness and your love. Be reminded that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And God, while we know some things for sure, there are others we don't have all the answers to. But we trust you. And Lord, we think of all the wonderful things that you've created and all the wonderful things that you've done. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the way that you blessed us and blessed our lives. Lord, I pray that as we all know people who haven't experienced this hope, the hope of salvation, that we would be reminded to love them well. That we would never miss an opportunity to share with them the hope that we have. God, that we would pray for them to make that choice. And we'd remember we can't make anybody's decision for them. You haven't called us to change anybody's mind. But you have called us to share our stories. So God, I pray that you'd give us opportunities to do that this week. And I pray the hope of what's to come would shape our lives. That we're reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.